Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here. And if you're watching online, it's good for you to be with us too. Maybe you're taking a little vacation. That's where my family is. They're at the beach today, and, and I'm, I'm going to join them here in just a little bit. And, uh, so I invite you to open up your Bibles as we begin this journey in full this morning. I hope you can handle them taking off a big chunk this morning. We're looking at verse 1. He said, okay, it's going to take us a while to get through that way, isn't it? And I said, yes, it sure is. And we're going to enjoy every second of it. Matter of fact, I hope you can connect that thought of just enjoying God's Word a little piece at a time um, with where we're going today. And so let's stand to our feet and let's look at Romans 1 and verse 1. Paul begins his letter with this. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today as, as believers in Christ first and foremost. We are Christians, followers of your son because you chose us to be your children before the foundation of the world. And Lord, we confess we can't even get our hands beginning to get a hold of that. But we thank you for it because your son is risen and your word is true. So we can have hope this morning so that we can understand not only who we are, but whose we are and let that inform all of our life and all of the work that you have put before each one of us and us collectively as a church. And so, Lord, we ask that we could roll around in the goodness of what Paul is understanding of who he is and what he is called to do and help us to translate that into the life of not only the church but in our individual lives for your glory and for your name we pray. Amen. You could be seated. So when you meet somebody on the street or you meet somebody you hadn't seen in a while or maybe you never met, didn't know them since, how do you introduce yourself? You know, I used to be Richard's boy. Now I'm Christina's husband. It, you know, how do you introduce yourself? That's important. Um, that says a lot. If you back up, we don't think much anymore. We always fill our minds with noise and watch meaningless things, but it it pays to understand because everything we do tells us a lot about ourselves, and uh, identity is important. Um, this is one of my issues that has been most of my life. I get too much from what I do. I I identify myself with my work too much. I have a tendency to not only introduce myself with that capacity, but even if I'm talking to anybody, I want to get to their occupation as soon as possible. It's because we put a lot of, lot of effort and a lot of worth in pe- what people do or what they do not do. And so we can learn a lot about that, about ourselves. But what we're trying to get to is big questions in life are important. Who am I answering that question is a question that everybody asks and that everybody seeks to answer. Why am I here is a question that everybody asks, that everybody seeks to answer in some way, though they may not answer it exactly that way. And what happens to people who never get that answered? 
Many of you know them. And so I hope to not only next, this week, but next week to, to get to that, not only what Paul is saying about who he is, but what the church is because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. So he really gives us three points here. You see them in the text. Just look at it. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, right? You know, you're not a preacher. You don't have to be today. There's the three points right there. They're, they're there for us. And I just couldn't get past them this week, and so that's what we're going to look at. First, Paul's identity is a slave of God, or more specifically, a slave of Christ Jesus. That's really the word. Remember, we are, we are, we are not to eisegete the text. We don't bring what we, what we think. We don't bring our historical experiences of Western civilization and let that inform what God's Word says and what God's Word means. Does that make sense? You, you have to understand, what does that Word mean? What did it say in the original? What did it mean when He said, when He said what He said? Now let's apply it. And so what that Word means is doulos. It is a slave. Now in the ancient world, there is a difference. You said, going, well, why does the text say servant? A, a servant is, is someone most of the time in that culture that was almost like your employment that you have today. Um, that person could come and go. They could resign. They could seek employment elsewhere. It, it's, there's a lot we could say about the distinction between a servant and a slave. You could say it this way. Every Doulos was a servant, but not every servant was a doulos, a slave. A, a doulos, a slave, was, had a master. He had a curios, uh, a lord. That was the imagery here. Now, when you think of a slave, just, let's just be honest of where we're struggling with when you hear this word, what comes to mind? Right? Just let it come because it's important that we understand that for most of us, when we hear the word slave, we think of what? Oppression. A taskmaster. We see those images that of, even of our American history of people being treated like animals, forced subjection. Paul was nothing if he was not biblical. You've got to understand that Paul is in the process of writing in the New Testament. Right when he writes Romans, but so when Paul is thinking about Scripture, when he's when he's thinking that I am being Scripture saturated, when I say what I say, he is thinking into the Old Testament too of what it meant to be a slave or a servant of God. And so, when Paul thinks that to be a doulos, a slave of Christ Jesus, he was lining himself up. With the men and women of old, Abraham in Genesis 26 called, was a servant of God. Moses in Numbers 12 was a servant of God. That word in the Hebrew, slave. Joshua, slave of God. Joshua 24, 29. David, slave of God. 2 Samuel 7, 5. These are everywhere. This word is everywhere in the Old Testament. Isaiah, the prophets were servants. They were the slaves of God. 
Turn with me to Isaiah 52. You know this passage. You know Isaiah 53, don't you? The suffering what? Servant. Isaiah 52, verse 13. says this. Behold my servant. I'll let you get there. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. It says, Behold my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And then look down in Isaiah 53 and verse 11. He said, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. And so if, if you're sitting here struggling with that word slave, you're, you're, you're not being biblically informed initially. And Paul was. He's, he's, this is his starting point. Culturally, yes, important to understand the context, but also biblically. We must be informed of what that word means. Because Paul would go on to say there is a freedom in this slavery. There's a freedom in this slavery. There's a Lord, yes. We call him Lord, Master. Turn with me now into the New Testament to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, Now... The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When he says the Spirit of the Lord, you could say the Spirit of the Curios or the Spirit of the Master. That's what that means. So he is our master, but this master gives us, affords us a liberty, a freedom. A freedom from sin. We've been singing about that. A freedom to serve the greatest good, capital G, for the highest purpose. By the way, our lives beckon to answer that question. What is the greatest good? What is the highest purpose that I can use my life for? Paul said, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. To be a slave then of Christ means we are redeemed for his glory. We are first redeemed. We are, as the students just got through studying, we are ransomed for his glory. You know this, still in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, says, for you are bought with a price. Since you are bought with a price, Use your bodies and bring God glory with it. Pretty simple application there, isn't it? If God, in fact, ransomed you, you're, you're all of you. You're a unity. You're not just a spirit that has a body. You are a, you are a whole self, body, mind, and soul. He ransomed it all. We, we all of us belong to Him. Now, just if you've got 1 Corinthians 6, flip over a page to chapter 7. Look at verse 20. 
Now, he's in the nitty-gritty of the church in Corinth's life here. He said, yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. Right? That's, that makes sense, right? Verse 22. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Do you see that? That's the way, that's the way that text means. That's explicit. What it means to be free in Christ and to be a slave of Christ. To be a slave of Christ means... We were redeemed, ransomed for His glory. It also means we are surrendered. Our lives are surrendered to Christ. This word can also mean a bond slave. A bond slave was a, was a slave that was, that was bound, but that had been set free. But because of the goodness of his master, he, des, he desires to be a lifelong slave. And they would take an awl and put a ring in his ear, and he would be that Master slave forever. He that willingly surrendered himself to his master. This is the picture of what it means, listen, to be saved. Galatians 2 19, we know this well. It says, For though the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me. And he gave himself for me. We, we, we have been ransomed by him and we surrender our lives to him. I was impacted by Martin Lloyd-Jones we can hear much of his messages, though he has been gone for many years. We, they have recordings of my, many of his messages, and not to mention he has a cool accent. Uh, just a good brother to listen to. Listen to what he said. Paul is saying this from the beginning, that whatever level you know or not know about him, whatever you remember or forget, he is anxious for us to remember the one person who was the center of his life. That was Christ. To be a slave means that we are redeemed, that we are surrendered, and that we are controlled. But look at what we are controlled by. We are controlled by love. And there again, if you have some idea of being a slave of God that doesn't involve that, if you always teeter on the brink of, of legalism, you need to hear this this morning. We are controlled by love. Listen to what, again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, speaking about Paul. He is a bond slave in the sense that anybody in love is always a bond slave to the one he loves. He is captivated. He is captured. That, those two phrases, by the way, drove my application. I couldn't get beyond this quote this week. You are captivated by the one you love. You're a bond slave. You willingly have surrendered yourself, your desires. You're controlled by that love. She said, this is, this is Christianity. Christianity. 
It's just what it means to understand who you, who you are. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls us. We'll come back to that later. Slavery, then, in that day, became one of the human divisions that became meaningless in the community of God. This is why what will flip the world upside down is to change the culture, not simply laws. Christianity changed the culture because no matter whether you were free or a slave, no matter whether you were a man or a woman, when you came into the body of Christ, you were in the family, and we all got here the same way by faith. So there was no reason for elevation. There was no reason to look down at someone who was a slave or a servant, or whether they was rich or whether they were poor. It changed everything. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or, and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Christianity changed everything. It only changed the lives. It changed the world. To be a slave of Christ then means we are redeemed by him. We are surrendered to him. We are controlled by him. And we are submitted to to his will. In other words, this is this part of, of understanding what it means to be a slave of Christ. It's important. Uh, a slave's purpose was determined by their master. The goodness of this master determined the slave's purpose. That's, this is what he's getting at. He, he owns this himself. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 says this. Paul, speaking of himself says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Do you see what he says? I cannot not but do what God has called me to do. I am a steward of what He has given me. I must do it. I cannot not do it. My will is bound up in my Lord. And the Lord's told me to do it. That's what it means to be a slave of Christ. And so... At the other end of the spectrum of someone who's legalistic, who who's thinks I can earn God's love and I have to keep God's love, is the person who said, it doesn't matter what I do, God loves me anyway. So they're going, that is simply not the way Christians think. It is not what the regenerate nature produces inside a believer. It produces someone whose will is bound up in the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? Tomorrow, And that's what I'll do. Whether it kills me or whether it makes me rich or poor. Whether it makes me a slave or sets me free. It matters not. Only that I'm doing what you told me to do. That's what it means to be a slave of Christ. But he's not done, is he? He's also called to be an apostle. So he starts with this. I'm a slave of Christ. But I'm called to be an apostle. So we got two words now. Calling and apostleship. Calling an apostle. So let's just take those words one at a time 
this morning. First, what, is it, what does it calling mean? It becomes in the Christian world one of those things like love. We use it an awful lot. And sometimes the things we use a lot begin to not mean much. And so three things stand out scripturally. First is the external call. That's what I'm doing today. I'm, I'm, I'm calling, I'm claiming God's word. I'm calling for you to respond. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right? The word is proclaimed. We call on people to repent, to come to Christ, to put this off, to put this on. But there also is an internal call of God. This is the call of God to some people that produces. It is effectual. In other words, what effectual means, it is producing what he desires it to produce. This is exactly what he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said, you must be born again, but the Spirit blows where it wants to blow. That's what it says. That's the internal call. So they are distinct. The external call is our responsibility. The internal call we have nothing to do with. I had not saved a person yet, and neither have you. But the Holy Spirit saves them every day from the least to the greatest. But there's another kind of calling. This calling involves setting apart someone for a particular purpose. This is what Paul is getting to. Turn with me to Acts. Acts. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Acts 9, 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer For the sake of my name. This was his calling. And who who got to choose it? The Lord did. Why? Because he's a slave of Christ. Redeemed. Surrendered. Loved. Paul was called. He is set apart to be then an apostle. Now to think about this, we have... Many things in the Bible that's used a couple different ways. You've got to think when you read the Bible sometimes. You've got to understand the context. Let's think about it in this way. There are big A apostles and little A apostles. Big A, little A. Because that word has a meaning. And so generally speaking, it just means the one who is sent. He is sent much of the way when we read 2 Corinthians 5, when we read somebody that's an envoy or an ambassador. He has authority because the one who sent him gave him that authority and gave him the message. But here's how those two are connected, called an apostleship. An apostle is chosen. Matter of fact, the word is bound up in both of those words. Called, chosen, appointed. To be a messenger. Galatians 1.1. Just listen to these. How he introduces himself throughout 
his letters. It says Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead. 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle, then, is a sent messenger to send somebody Acts 14, 14 is, is, is a small a apostle illustration. It says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed to the crowd. This is speaking then of Barnabas and Paul as messengers of God sent for a purpose. In other words, our church is called to be apostolic. Apostolic. That doesn't mean that we're all big A apostles. It means that we are all called and sent. We do that every, at the end of every service. We send you out. We, we think about missions. How can we go? Who can we send? We are apostolic. Our church should have a sentness about it. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones, an apostle is one chosen and sent with a special mission as the fully authorized representative of the sender. But what Paul means when Paul says what he says here in Romans is Paul is a big A apostle. He is one of the apostles. God has set him apart in a specific way, but he, he is claiming that he has met the criteria to be a big A apostle. Which is first, you had to have first-hand knowledge of the teachings of Christ from Christ himself. All the other apostles walked with him in his earthly ministry. Paul is claiming, and we'll see, I got this from Christ himself. First-hand transmission. If not, you're not an apostle. You're not a big A apostle. No matter what a preacher puts in front of his name, they did not get their message from the mouth of Jesus himself. They do not meet the criteria. They were not an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection. That's the second criteria. Acts chapter 1. Remember, Judas is now gone, taking his own life. There were 11. In Acts 1, 21, it says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the times of the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men should become with us a, a witness to his resurrection. Verse 23. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, and also Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he numbered among the eleven apostles. This was an office of these men. There was criteria that must be met to be a big A apostle. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.1, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? Matter of fact, Paul adds himself to a creedal statement of the early church, 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according with the Scriptures. Then He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then appeared to the more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them were still alive, though some who have fallen asleep. Then He also appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to the one untimely born, He also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Third criteria is the calling to be an apostle had to come from Jesus himself. Matter of fact, Matthias, if you go back and read Acts 1, said the reason they cast lots is they let Jesus pick him. That's what, he, that's what they were doing. <laughs> Jesus, we're not going to pick him. We're not you. We need you to pick the one to take Judas's place. That was the reason they were casting lots. They were leaving it up to the Lord to choose. Again, Galatians chapter 2. And by the way, Galatians, the first couple of chapters of Galatians, is just super helpful to understand how Paul got started and what Paul did do and what Paul didn't do at the beginning of his mission and ministry. Galatians 2 verse 7 says this On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. This was Paul's primary defense. When someone questioned his authority or questioned his apostleship, I received my calling and my gospel from Christ himself. So, here's what I have to say. <laughs> These big A apostles were important because they were receiving and giving special revelation just as the prophets did in the Old Testament. And once the canon was closed, closed. So Paul's identity as a slave of Jesus, his chosen then, his message is to be God's messenger. And this informs his purpose. So what is the message? How does what God has told him to do inform his purpose? He's supposed to be a messenger for the gospel of God. The gospel of God. Notice the apostles, if you look at the New Testament, have the work that they are given to do. This is three things. It is a God-authorized work. God-authorized uh, in other words, the apostle wasn't like a local church pastor whose authority is here, but it's not. I don't go to, I don't go to you know, First Baptist today and start, step up in there and say, hey, move over. But the apostles 
had unlimited authority over all the churches. When they wrote a letter, they would pass that around. They would read it, and that letter had authority. Look at Acts 26. Acts 26. Verse 16. It says, but this is Jesus speaking to then Saul that would become Paul. But rise and stand to your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's God authorized him for his purpose. But not only that, the Spirit inspired him for the work. It empowered him. These men were given an extra measure of God's Spirit to do what God had called them to do. John chapter 16, I would, I would ask you first, before you apply this into our own life, is try to think about this from the, these first men, these first apostles, that were the first ones to receive it and the impact it made on their life. And, and here's what I'm trying to do, sidebar. The critical aspect for you to understand how you are a small a is to understand how they were the big A. Does that make sense? The sentness of us that's coming in future messages, it's critical to understand what it meant for Paul to be an apostle called by God. In John 16, it says, Nevertheless, this is verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. These apostles were God-authorized, spirit-empowered he also had a supernatural work. Supernatural work. God authorized, God empowered, and God blessed their work by confirming it, affirming it, and giving them signs and wonders. Acts 2.43 says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Matter of fact, if you flip over a few chapters to Acts 5 and verse 12. Look at what it says. It's just amazing. 
Acts 5, 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None, uh, none of the rest dared join them. But the people had held them in high esteem. And more than every other believer were at, and more than every believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed." This is the work of the apostles. But what he's getting at and what he's going to explain next, and we'll get into this next week, was the apostles' message. Really, that's the purpose of the rest of this letter, is to give you the message so that you understand why the good news is good. Paul is, when we think about Romans and how what an amazing letter it is. Paul said, going, I was created for this to write this letter to you. I did it because of the love of God who saved me and he gave me this. I'm not just telling you good, keen insights from the life of Paul. This is not his theological insights based off his education. He said, I'm giving to you what God gave me. Don't ignore it. It's what he beckons us this morning. Over the, over the next however long it takes us to understand this is the gospel that belongs to God. And he didn't have to give it to you, but he did. Galatians then, going back to Galatians 1. This is long, but it's worth it. Galatians 1 verse 11. To understand how Paul got started. Galatians 1 and 2, really important. Galatians 1, 11 says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Christ Jesus. For you heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Verse 14 and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age and among my people. So I was extremely zealous what I was for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So Paul was given the gospel, not by the apostles, but by special revelation. He was in Arabia for three years. You see that in verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. That means to interview Peter. And remained with him 15 days, verse 19. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went up into the regions of Syria and 
Sicily, and I was still unknown in the persons to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing what was said. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. This was his, this is what he's trying to tell us today. This gospel that he's about to give you in the rest of Romans was not, it's not his opinion. He did not simply go and get it from Peter and write it down. He said, I went into the desert and I got it from Christ himself. And so when I went to Peter and I laid the gospel before him, he said, same gospel Christ gave us. So we will go to the Gentiles and you will go to the, to the Jews. That's what Paul was doing. That was what he was called to do. This is what he is going to do. But what he wants us to see is that what, what Paul is celebrating is good news. It's this message of a promised Messiah that was foretold in Genesis 3.15 and then was looked forward to throughout all of Scripture up to the last chapter in the Bible that burst on the scene in the person of Christ, fulfilling all the everything that all of Scripture said. He said, going, this one that we looked forward to has come and its name is Jesus. And so, today, the question Returning back to this Martin Lloyd-Jones quote that has literally captivated me this week is, have you been captured? Are you in fact captivated by Jesus Christ? I didn't ask you if you prayed a prayer when you was eight. I didn't ask you if your grandma was a really godly woman who took you to church every Sunday. I'm not asking you that your wife has an astoundingly deep faith in Jesus Christ. I'm saying, have you been captured and are you captivated by it? There's a difference. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians again. I told you we were going to come back to that. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Second Corinthians 5, 14. Paul, Paul says to the church, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Listen again to what, how Martin Lloyd-Jones put this. He, we are a bond slave in the sense that anybody in love is always a bond slave to the one he loves. If we love somebody, we are captivated by that love. We have been captured by that love. And that love affects everything. That's what I'm asking you this morning. I'm not asking you if you made a decision. I'm asking you that you know when you're in love with someone. You know when you are captivated. That first time that you are captivated by that person. They, they have your heart from that point on. Nothing can change that. From the moment he was struck down on Damascus, Jesus captured him. And he was captivated by that his whole life. 
Is that happened to you? I'm not saying that you're supposed to have a Paul experience. Some of us in growth group miss the point. Because you only peel the onion down to your personal experience. I'm not talking about your experience. I'm talking about what Jesus does in the heart of every single person he saves. He puts something in there. He changes everything. He captures our heart. And it motivates us for the rest of our life. Whether we're 8 or 80, it either happens or it don't. It's not a decision you make. It's when Jesus captures you just like he captured Paul. He does it. It's called salvation. And it is a work of God by His grace. He's captured. Then He's captivated by that love. Oh, I, I've never been able to get this psalm out of my head. I, I've, I just ran over it when we were stuck in the Congo trying to get our kids home. It was such a, I don't know how to say it, miserable experience. But I read this. Psalms 27.4. One thing I have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. What does it mean to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? Have you thought about that? That to be saved is to have an ability and a desire that you did not want and did not have before. To gaze upon his beauty. We are captivated by a love that gave everything to rescue us. We are captivated by one who gave us a family. And will never, never be left by that family or cast out of that family. We are captivated by an ex- the experience of both his mercy and his power. We are, we are captivated that a God who knows what we did in our yesterdays that chose us, loved us, forgave us, and it gives us a life and a hope and a destiny that nobody can take away. That even when I don't hold on to him, he holds on to me. Paul was controlled by that love. It motivated him and oriented him. It held him fast no matter what happened. In Timothy, when he said, everybody walked away from me, but not my Jesus. He held me fast, and he was enough. Paul's identity Listen, was a settled issue in his life. Here's my question. Is yours settled? Is yours settled? It's got to be settled. Brothers and sisters and friends, you can be captured and not captivated. That's because we have an idol that's captivating us. Get rid of it, no matter what it costs you. If you've got an idol that's beckoning to be captivated, that is drawing your time and your attention and your affections, the Lord Jesus is calling on you today to burn it. Because He alone is worthy of all of our affections to be treasured above all things. Everything else in life other than Christ alone is a distant second. So the question I leave you today that we will pick up next week is, do you know your purpose? Do you know whose you are? Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you for this beginning of this wonderful letter. Such a privilege to study such a, such a letter. But, Lord, all of your word is precious. And so, Lord, now we respond. 
we are called when we hear such a word to respond to it. And listen, God, we confess it, that all of us are about to. With our idleness, with our obstinance, with our brokenness, with our obedience. But Lord, I pray it would be with our joy. That the love of Christ would motivate and drive our response. Not only now, but as we go. And so, Lord, you be magnified as we, as we come to the tables together. We come to you as our Father and our God now, and before we come to the tables, confessing the only reason that we are worthy to come to the table is because of your mercy and grace. You have saved us, redeemed us, brought us into a family, and so we as a family come to the tables together to remember that we are all one in Christ and that we will be together forever. And of this, Sundays are just a foretaste of what is ahead. We come and offer our offerings, our first fruits, not begrudgingly. We offer them because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that laid down absolutely everything so that we could be free. That generosity, that grace motivates us to advance the kingdom. So, Lord, would you be glorified now as we worship you and as we go in Jesus' name.